Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. Growing up in the 80s and 90s among purity culture and in Christian circles, my idea of what sex was and could be was rather narrow. It also was shaped by soap operas with fog entering the room and harps playing upon climax and princes saving princesses in Disney movies. When I started to learn that sex could look different than what was presented to me, I, of course, had many different feelings and wonderings. The term kink or bend in sexual behavior can open up the world to sexual fantasies, something that a lot of us don't talk about. That's why I wanted to talk about it with a dear friend of mine who specializes in working with people who consider themselves kinky. Sean Orpin is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a marriage and family therapist supervisor, sex therapist supervisor in Seattle, Washington. He finds meaning in helping people navigate their way to pleasure, find their voice, share their values, and communicate desire with others through a sense of empowerment. Bodies are meant to be enjoyed and pleasure sought out. He finds meaning in seeing others becoming powerful in their lives. Sean, I am so glad that you're here with me today. I'm glad to be here and thank you. It's good to talk to you again. <laughs> it's so good to talk to you. Ah, so thank you for being here and taking on the subject of kink. I think um, I think about my introductory to kink, right? When I went to school in my 30s to study sex, I really had to deconstruct a lot, especially, I think, around kink because... I believe kink was um, introduced to me, you know, you started to hear about it. I started hearing about maybe kinky behaviors or things like that, especially BDSM, right, in college. And just some of the, when you see some of the imagery without having a lot of dialogue around it, it can feel very different, especially if you've grown up the way I had and other people in Christian communities when you're also told that sex can only look a certain right. way. So knowing that kink can look different to many people, can you describe what kink is and how it can look? That is, that's an excellent question. I, I, I think it really is. <clears throat> kink is dependent upon the eyes that are viewing it and, and, and the person experiencing it. And, um, you know, like for, for example, like in, when I was growing up, uh, in Vancouver, I was listening to this radio show every night, you know, as a younger teenager. And I think the, the therapist's name was Rona Raskin, and they were like a marriage and family therapist or a sex therapist or something like that a long, long time ago, kind of dating myself. But people were kind of calling in with these questions around their sexuality and kink and, and kind of these things that they think about or, or want to try or are fearful of sharing with their partners. And the therapist on the radio show was just like really thoughtful and kind and, and created a lot of space for them to kind of just explore who they are and what they were drawn to without a lot of shame or, or, or judgment. 
And so I think for me, part of how I view kink is, is tied into some of those earlier experiences that seemed relatively affirming, right? I, I think my experience as well, like a lot of people's comes from, you know, things that you see in the media, pornography, you know, whispers that people made to each other because kink and sex just in general are, aren't things that are talked about openly or without some sort of a, a like a, a patina that is kind of like negative or dark or, or, you know, there's all these kind of rules that we feel are attached to the topic. So, but for me, it was a little bit more approachable. So I thought of kink as something that was, you know, curious, experienced by a lot of different people. Um, but primarily a source of curiosity. I mean, the word kink now, now that I'm a sex therapist and, 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 and work with these, this population a lot, um, kink doesn't really have the same meaning it used to because like, kink typically means kind of non-conventional sexual practices right and that is to some degree tied to um uh how how religion and how quote-unquote tradition defines what is acceptable in terms of sexuality um when in reality like there's so much variability in how people connect to their own sexuality share their sexuality with other people um, where they find meaning in pleasure and expression that, you know, you know, it's kink is losing its definition because more and more people are feel are feeling comfortable talking about their sexuality without as much shame and in that expression and kind of pulling the topic into the light. We realize that kink is just so common that it's no longer non-conventional like human sexuality is a spectrum is a spectrum including the behaviors. And so I like using the word kink with folks because it's something that they can kind of wrap their hands around. It's, it's something that they understand because it's talked about in culture and in media to some degree. And then we kind of work our way out of that definition into like, this is how, you know, people connect to their kink or their sexuality in all sorts of different ways. It's kind of it's how you're describing it. It's like, it's a natural human expression of creativity and curiosity right it's just us then giving the permission Mm -hmm. to like extend our playfulness like how we used to as kids right we 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 roamed we explored we touched things we um discovered things and so now it's just taking that same kind of playfulness into the bedroom to explore different or out of the bedroom (laughs) i guess right (laughs) at the same time (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, everywhere, like your, your sexuality doesn't turn on or turn off just because you are in or out of a bedroom, right? Like your sexuality right. is a, for, for those that experience a sex drive, it's a part of part who of you are. Um, and therefore it's with you wherever you go. That doesn't necessarily mean that you, you are directing your sexuality to people or that you're feeling sexually turned on by other people, but it's, it's, it's a part of how many of us experience the world and it kind of operates in the background and so it's you know the the behaviors that we engage in are vehicles for thoughts and feelings and integration and meaning systems that help to organize our understanding of ourselves and the world that we that we live in right and and it's kink is really interesting in so many different ways like you know 100 years ago you know people could for example be be having sex 
with all the lights off, they're not looking at each other. And now, you know, there are couples, for example, that are using blindfolds to have sex where they're taking away their vision, like one of their sensory systems to be with each other. And, and that's considered kinky. Whereas back in the day, it's like, that's what you do. You kind of look away and you just kind of do your thing and do the deed. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of the behaviors that you're seeing right now are, are, are like changing definitions for the same thing. Like sex is a right. vehicle for meaning and for feeling and for connection and self-understanding and self-expression and or release among amongst other things. Yeah, I feel like that's what's happening in so many other areas, right, of sexuality in the sexual world is that so many of these things that we talk about have actually been happening for centuries. We're just giving them new labels and definitions to make mm-hmm. sense of them now, right? Would you agree? In a way, well, oh, uh, oh no, hundred percent. I mean, it's 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 you know, my understanding as a child is very different than my understanding as a as a grown man, and you know, we we look back at old experiences, and this is kind of like more of a narrative kind of approach. But like, you, we look back at our older experiences, and we re understand them with the knowledge that we have now, the based on the version that we are now, and that's. You know, we're, we're constantly as a species trying to re-understand our experiences and to learn from them and, and to grow from them, whether or not we're conscious of that process or not, in my opinion. And, and that includes definitions and how we relate to things and what's comfortable, what's not comfortable, and what we want to invite in to our world and our understanding in order to grow beyond our own boundaries and borders, um, ideally in a, in a thoughtful, attentive way. Um, where we are choosing a direction as opposed to feeling pushed towards something that we may or may not be comfortable with, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like overall, though, I mean, as you were saying, right, that yeah. people are getting, I'm, they're, ex- they're participating in these different behaviors that was once seen really kinky, but really are actually fairly natural and people are exploring. But mm-hmm. there is a sub- culture portion of people who still have a a hard time understanding um, kink or might have a negative viewpoint of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say, especially in religious communities. So can you share how kink can enhance relationships and what we can learn from exploring with kink? Sure. I mean, I think there's there's part of me that almost wants to say let's just kind of get rid of rid of the word kink sure. and think about like sexuality and 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 integration meaning like kind of being more connected to ourselves being more connected to the moment with the person that we are with being more connected mm. to the meaning that we are trying to generate right yeah. um, the thing that kinky people do well and people that identify as kinky is that they oftentimes practice a lot of negotiation around their exploration. And the reason why that is so useful is because like when you're practicing negotiating and evaluating kind of what you want versus what you need and how to go about doing that, how do I invite my partner into that experience? How do I take my partner's experience, their wants and their needs and their fears and their anxieties and vulnerabilities into consideration? You're learning how to talk about difficult things right? And Mm -hmm. sexuality itself is not difficult. Our ability to talk about it is really inhibited because of the culture that we, that we live in, you know? And so you look at cultures in Northern Europe, countries in Northern Europe um, that have comprehensive sex education at an early age. And you see um, just a a much 
greater capacity to talk, to negotiate, to prevent disease transmission, to prevent bad or painful sexual experiences. They tend to have longer relationships, depending on the country, longer relationships at younger ages and, 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 and higher reports of, of, of pleasure and, and, and connection in their, in their relationships. And so that's, you know, what, what that speaks to me is that like the more we are able to talk about our sexuality and our, our fears, our excitements, the things that we're drawn to, being able to talk about what we don't understand, but we want to learn about and understand over time, the healthier we are, right? And, and couples do that with topics that aren't sex, right? Like we, we, we learn how to talk about money over time. We learn how to talk with our partners around child rearing and, and other kind of things over time. We learn how to talk about politics and, and, and where we want to be 10 years from now. Um, through trial and error and practice and intentionality and, and through kind of seeking out information to help us understand what we need to be fearful of and what we don't need to be fearful of. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to sexuality, that's an area that we really don't. And we don't live in a culture that encourages, encourages the view that sexuality, although it can be difficult or challenging or, or, or a little bit dangerous in certain ways, there's so much about it that can be positive, can be healthy, growth promoting, um, connecting, intimate, loving. Um, and I think those are the things that we need to learn about and, and to have more be part of the culture. But I, I kind of tailed off there. But no. I, I think back to your back to your question, though, I think like one of the biggest things that I would think about kink being valuable for for couples is is that it's it, it, it helps people learn how to explore themselves. It helps people practice um, exploring their partner's experience. Um, it teaches, you know, when you are learning how to engage in, in kink through through things like um, RAC, which is a, a fancy term for risk-aware consensual kink. It's, it's, a, it's a way of negotiating and exploring what you want to do sexually with a partner that is about being informed on an ongoing basis throughout the experience. It's about identifying consequences to what you're interested in trying. It's about identifying things that you wanna try because they feel powerful or important or exciting or, or fun, um, where you are aware of the risks and the benefits and you're checking in on a regular basis. So that explicit negotiation about thought and feeling and need and vulnerability, I think is probably one of the biggest benefits of exploring kink with intentionality. Um, you know, and and, and we do know in, in the research that the populations that tend to struggle the most with their sexuality are usually um, heterosexual um, couples that come from religious backgrounds. Um, not solely, but because there's, there's a lack of information and fear is usually attached to, to sexuality, where it's like, you know, when, when there's a lack of information about it and a lack of information around sexuality that is positive or about connection or about um, um, joy or pleasure, what is left is either fear mm -hmm. or no information whatsoever. And then you start to absorb the information that your family or your community communicates to you because that's what you have available. And people are naturally really curious. Like we want to, we want to get information to help us understand and interpret our world. And with if there's a lack of information or if there's scary information, that's what we start to absorb. And that's the, those are the lenses that we view sexuality from. Right. Yeah. So. My goodness. There's so many things, Sean, that you said that I loved. And <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> want 
to comment on sure. that. I feel like so much of that really is when you were we are talking about you know the fact like the heterosexuality and like religious community have the harder time right within the exploration of things. I also think about so much too of this uh, that you just talked about, right in terms of how we check in, how we actually talk about what it is that we might want to experience, what that could look like, informing, educating ourselves. It really is also this permission and invitation to be fully into our bodies. Mm-hmm. And I think where so many of us struggle is that one, we're, I now I'm kind of thinking of kink or not kink or sexuality as a whole, as we were just saying, getting rid of the word, is an embodiment experience right? Like Mm -hmm. being completely embodied. It's also learning how I think to be vulnerable and to learn how to have these intimate conversations. And I think where so many people um, feel fear is Mm -hmm. knowing that they don't have those initial tools of maybe they don't even understand, you know, if they fantasize, um, being even having that permission to even fantasize, right? Like often we're told like to not think about that. Um, that's lust. You shouldn't be lusting, you know? So I think people have, um, shame even wrapped up around a fantasy and then to try to talk to a partner to initiate experiencing maybe even just a portion of that fantasy, feels very daunting and scary and am I okay? Am I good enough? Am I worthy? You know, I feel like all Mm -hmm. those um, thoughts might come into a person's mind. Uh, And then just being able to navigate uh, how to process the play and how to be a part of it. And then even facing mild rejection, you know, like if it doesn't go, Like whenever, obviously, whenever we put ourselves out there to a partner to say, hey, (laughs) this is what I want to experience, or you ever thought about this, or could we try this? We always face that little aspect of rejection. So then how would you talk with a person or help a person who has those feelings of, one, they may not even trust their bodies, two, they may not even know how to identify what their fantasies could be. Mm-hmm. Because they haven't been given permission to fantasize. Yeah. And then how to, like, if they do want to explore, break out of that kind of fear that you had talked about. Yeah. It, that's, I mean, that's, that's a, t- that's a tough one and a common one. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I remember before becoming a sex therapist, I've been a therapist for a, a long time. And like, I always knew that I kind of wanted to be a sex therapist, but there's just like a lot of education that's attached to it. And, you know, so it kind of, it kind of came a little bit later in my career where I really focused on it. But I, I, I remember being a therapist and, and doing lots of like relational work or individual work with people. And, and there weren't a lot of conversations around sexuality being had in session. You know, we were talking about depression or anxiety or, or you know, very commonly relational conflict or things of that nature. And then 
I started doing the sex therapy courses and, and working towards my certification. And it's like a really comprehensive program that sex therapists, certified sex therapists at least have to go through. And I, I started to bring up questions in my sessions with my clients that, that I was learning about in, in my schooling. And what I learned about myself was, was pretty tremendous. And, and that, that being that I was unfortunately doing my clients a disservice because like the minute I started asking questions about like, well, how's your sex life going? Mm. Do you feel connected physically with your partner? When I started asking questions around sexuality and, and physical intimacy and pleasure, all of a sudden people were sharing information with me that I had never heard before, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And what that taught me was that like, it's, 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 it's not that these things aren't to be talked about. It's like nobody feels safe to talk about them or to bring it up. It's like people need permission mm -hmm. because of what you said, you know, a moment ago, which is like that, that the concern of rejection, that fear of not knowing enough. Like I, I get a lot of people that feel like they should know more about their sexuality than they do. Mm -hmm. And there's embarrassment and there's shame. And there's, there's a, a feeling of a, a lack of confidence or confidence. And, and so it's like something that they keep buried under the, under the rug. And when I started asking these questions in a very open, non-judgmental way, just kind of people inviting them into sharing whatever it is that they want to share, they almost wouldn't shut up. Right. And I, I loved it. I, it. It made me so happy mm -hmm. because it's like, here are these people that are, are, wow, this might be the only place in their lives where they have felt comfortable enough to just openly free association, just talk about their sexuality, talk about their partners, talk about their bodies, what they liked about their bodies, what they hated about their bodies, mm -hmm. what they were confused about. They were able to explore all these different concepts. I mean, sexuality is, is complex in some ways and there's so much to it and we don't have any, at least in, in North America and especially in the States, like we don't have any really useful ways of, of exploring it and learning about it. And there's like a, whether you identify as kinky or not, I think there's, to borrow a term, there's a little bit of a, a coming out period for folks where right. it's like when they start struggling to ignore or deny what their bodies are telling them in terms of being drawn to certain types of pleasure or certain ideas or fantasies. Mm -hmm. um, like it, it, it kind of, they, they have to share it. And there's just, they don't know where to do that. And the way, one of the really important ways that people learn to be a little bit more resilient, a little bit braver, a little bit more willing to be vulnerable is through building community mm. around what they're feeling in their bodies, right? And like, again, I, I, I talk about canker sexuality to some degrees being a vehicle for thought and for feeling and for meaning, right? Mm -hmm. And so people are interested in all sorts of different things that another person might not be interested in. Somebody might be interested in the idea of being bound and having their hands handcuffed. Other people might prefer to have one of their senses taken away from them, like their sight. Right. Um, some people enjoy spanking, like impact play. Um, other people prefer, you know, a level of energy, whether somebody's like kind of a little bit more dominant in their energy, but these are all like things that lead to feelings and the feelings themselves are the universal for folks, right? Mm -hmm. A person might not understand the desire to be spanked, but a person, that person might better understand, like, I want to not be in charge. That right. part I might understand, 
-hmm. I don't understand the letter. I don't understand the the collar or or whatever the person's into, like the the implements or the vehicles for that experience to take you there. Um, it doesn't have to be those things, but the the meaning a person puts onto the object is kind of tied to a feeling and experience that they want to have, and that feeling and that experience is more universal. And I think that is at least in, in therapy, that's the direction that I tend to take the clients that I work with, which is like, well, you know, let's let's break this down. What is the feeling under the behavior? And like looking at the partner, like, do you do you connect to a desire to be more in control in some aspects of your life? Or do you connect to the desire to not be in charge as much in your life? Let's say that you are a, a, a new mother and you have a child and that child is coming to you again and again and again and again and not really giving you any kind of a break and you feel like you're in charge of this little person's entire world and that is so beautiful and it's also so much work and so much stress and there's so much expectation and and, and things attached to it the idea of letting go of some of that responsibility in another part of your life where you can just be in your body where you can just sink into feeling where somebody else that you trust and that you care about that has your best interests and, and well-being mm -hmm. at heart can take over can be very 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 attractive and appealing because it offers you a it, it offers you not an escape from your life but rather it offers you access to a different part of who you are as a human being it's getting a need met that isn't being met, right? Like I think of it in that way too. Like sometimes when you're caretaking constantly or in charge or making all the decisions, mm -hmm. there's an aspect sometimes of, well, I'm not like, sometimes I want someone to care for me too, right? right? Or to ask me how I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I think in that aspect of, of having that sense of feeling, you know, not in control or yeah. having someone dominate you, it's also being like, okay, there's a, there's also a little bit of a need for me, you know, like that's how I would think of it. Right. Yeah. Well, and, I, and this is like the funny thing about kink, right? I think how kink is very like, what does kink actually mean? Well, it, 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 it's such a spectrum. Like you could, for example, say that kinky behavior is like, I am tired of being in control of everything as a new parent. I, you know, and then turning to your partner, I, I want you to make the decisions about where we're going to eat tonight or about where we're going to go this weekend or what we're going to do just for this weekend. I want to, I, I want to hand that over to you um, mm -hmm. because it will afford me the ability to be more in my body and to relax and feel taken care of, yeah. you know, which is like a negotiation of expectation and power and decision-making, which is the same process as somebody who might be much more interested, for example, in leather and um, collars around the neck, um, and, and, and more formal scripted expressions of, of dominance and submission, right? Like these are all power exchanges, but they just look different. Like the, the tools and the implements and the, the, the vehicle, it might be different, but like it's the same kind of feeling to, to varying degrees, right? And that's, you know, it's, it's understanding. So this is like another part of your, your question, like understanding the meaning system of the partner that you have and what they connect to and, and and, and being able to access that is and, and invite conversation around that is really important because like you can still be kinky even though you know mm -hmm. you are quote unquote fairly vanilla you know i don't like that term right. being pejorative because every flavor is a, an amazing flavor um but like oh i love that sean but it is <laughs> flavor I, is an amazing yeah it is no. i mean like like for some people looking you know eye to eye 
when they're were, when oh. they're being sexual with their partner is incredibly uncomfortable and very vulnerable and like that is like a challenge and like discomfort but like a good thing right and for other people you know can can look very 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 different where it involves all, all sorts of other things and so it's a, it's very much a spectrum mm-hmm for folks there's there's no such thing as a, a, a normal you know in a way kink is not a pejorative word normal is a pejorative word because it's not it's not accurate right well it's the whole thing too of, I think it goes in lines like for instance I always have people I um define sex right in workshops that I do mm. when when I um I probably have talked about this a million times on this podcast but when I work with parents of how to talk to kids about sex I'm like okay define sex Um, and they have to work in groups and what we've come to learn and what I talk to them about is we kind of have our own definition of what sex is. The key is to learn how to, to communicate that, you know, to our partners, to other people, um, and to be able to hear what their definitions are and what does that look like? And I feel like this is essentially a little bit, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, what you're saying around with kink, right? Like, or um, just our expressions of sexuality, right? It's, it's for the, for the person, um, in terms of how we are expressing ourselves and how we want to, um, gain access to feelings and, and have a shared experience Mm -hmm. with another person. And what does that look like? And how can we do that? Absolutely. It's, 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 it's a sharing of self, a sharing of vulnerability and, and, you know, ideally, and it doesn't always happen this way, but ideally you are in a relationship where um, you're inviting each other, if it's a dyad or more, a polycule or a throuple or whatever, but ideally you are, part of your intention in, in sharing a sexual relationship with somebody is having a desire to invite that person to reveal themselves to you in a way where you can help create with them an experience that is power, powerful and meaningful and consensual and, and growth promoting for them, right? Like we have this phrase in sex therapy where it's like, it's called like the good enough sex model. And like, right. what does that mean? Good enough. Like I want amazing sex. Good enough sex model is basically saying that like, no matter what kind of sexual experience you have with your partner, you want to be able to walk away feeling glad that you participated in whatever way, shape or form, right? Mm-hmm. And what that could mean is, well, maybe the, the sex that we had lasted a minute, maybe it lasted two hours, maybe we, you know, we used every toy under the sun, or maybe, you know, I was the only one that I, I pleased my partner as opposed to did anything receptive. Mm-hmm. You wanna be able to walk away from some of these experiences feeling like you invested in something as opposed to sacrificed. Right. And I think this also ties into like a different idea where when you are with a partner or partners and you're being sexual, that you have to have the same exact meaning for what you're experiencing. Yeah. And you're, you really don't because like we're, we're so very, let's say there's like a stay at home parent and the other, the other parent is, you know, off at the office and, and working and doing whatever it is that they're doing, you know, when they come together at the end of the day, they're going to be in fairly different places emotionally, dependent upon what they experienced throughout the course of that day. Right. And so if they try to be intimate together, um, they are probably bringing different content, different material from their day into that sexual experience. And so their ability to be completely aligned 
in, in the meaning and the experience and the feeling from what they're sharing is going to be different, mm-hmm. right? But if your goal is to share something with your partner in a way where you're able to walk away being thankful that you shared something with your partner, you know, your partner might have enjoyed the sex because, or the kink, because it allowed them stress relief. Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and you might have enjoyed the experience because it offered you the ability to invest in your partner's happiness and you feel happy or pleasure from your partner's happiness right like can can't that be like you, you both end at the same spot which is you're both happy with each other and the experience even though the meaning that you're drawing from the experience is different right right it, you're you're closer together as opposed to living separate lives or parallel lives um, where there's no kind of overlap in experience. And so it's, it's you know, it's, it's I, I'm a heavy proponent on the idea of finding ways for things to feel like investments as opposed to sacrifices. And if things feel like a sacrifice, um, learning how through exposure to groups and to books and to podcasts and to TED Talks on YouTube, which are really, which can be really helpful, to better understand different ways of languaging your own sexuality or your own identity, your own needs, how you experience your body, and to be able to kind of take that knowledge and, and share that with your partner or invite them to share their experience in some of these ways, yeah. I think can be really, really helpful in couples or, or any relational dynamic feel much more comfortable exploring the unknown. And the unknown is kind of scary, right? It's, it's And we're, we're yeah. taught in this culture to be scared of the unknown specifically when it comes to sex it's like okay you're married if you get married then you can have all the sex that you want and you should automatically know what to do and how to do it and how to feel about it and that mm-hmm. is 100% not the case um, right. those those individuals are usually the hardest ones uh, to work with they're lovely human beings but they hold so much shame and so much guilt and so much confusion like they just don't know what to do um, most of us don't know what to do because we have a terrible educational system around sexuality in this country but um, mm-hmm. you know, when you are exposed to different ways of understanding sexuality, you can kind of, you know, this is what I say to clients too. It's just like, I, if you want to better understand your sexuality and feel more comfortable in your own skin, explore on your own in the safety of, 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 you know, the privacy of your own home, read a book, Ted talk, nobody else has to know about it. But the more you expose yourself to different ideas, the more you can draw from the things that just make sense to you in your body, right? Your body will let you know over time what feels right and what doesn't feel like it's you and so I encourage people like read a book and do these things and then like what resonates with you wonder why it resonates with you wonder how you could carry that forward into your life wonder how could I share what I'm noticing in my body with my partner how can I language that to my partner when you have a vocabulary things become less scary when you lack a vocabulary for things that are taught to us to be scary we avoid it like the plague um, and we live in the shadows and we live in our shame and we deny um, a very important part of our identity and uh, an important part of life that for those that, that, you know, that aren't asexual, for example, um, you deny, you're, you're denying yourself the ability to utilize pleasure as a, as a way to help manage and regulate and feel connected to yourself and connected to your partner and connected to the world around you. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of exposure on your own terms and then eventually like inviting your partner into ex- to exposure to feeling and thought and embodiment and, and how that could be explored in, in ways that are kinky or not kinky. 
Okay, so I just need to say that, like, I speak, right, I feel in, in body language mm -hmm. because I was a dancer. And right now, <laughs> I just feel like my hands would be upon my um, sternum mm -hmm. and I would just be ex <laughs> like throwing my arms up in the air <laughs> and lifting my sternum and yeah. just everything you said. <laughs> I was just like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I just feel, oh, Sean, like you just have ways of saying things that um, bring people to um, at home with themselves. Mm -hmm. Like everything you just spoke was just beautiful. It was just full of wisdom. It was, I just feel like, ah, I'm hoping like I am a, you know, sex educator and, you know, always I'm learning from, from each one of my sex therapist friends and sex educator friends and things like that. But, you know, some of the stuff I've heard or I've known, but like hearing it the way that you just spoke about it was just freeing. Mm -hmm. And I hope that other people hearing what you just said can feel a moment of knowing that learning how to invest in themselves to slowly wipe away some of the messaging that we have been given in the, the American culture, which has so much stigma and shame attached mm -hmm. to it that they can start to dig deep into their own personhood, into the heart of who they are and be willing to like, I don't know, like have an image. I almost want to say like a dance because that's how we speak, but right. like, like with their own personhood and with their bodies and to just like explore them and be willing to uh, to say that they deserve to have feelings of pleasure. They deserve to have experience where they can walk away from sexual encounters and say that was good enough. That was fantastic. I feel great about this. Um, but even like you said, if it even if it is just offering pleasure for one in that particular time and moment, because that's what you felt like you felt like giving or also being able to be fully receiving mm -hmm. at a moment and not feeling guilt. If your partner wanted to just give to you and you could just fully receive it without feeling guilt about that. Right. Well, yeah. There's, there, there, there are two gifts being given there, right. The partner that is giving you the gift of, of, of pleasure and, and, and participation. And there's the gift that you give yourself, which is the, the, the ability to accept pleasure and that we are all deserving of connection and intimacy and pleasure, however you as an individual define that. Um, and I think people really struggle with the idea of giving because they, they want to be perfect at it or they don't want to appear incompetent. Right. And people equally struggle with the idea of allowing themselves to fully give, right? So mm -hmm. they are, or fully receive, I should say. Um, and they are, are very much in their heads when they are receiving and that can make sexuality a little bit more cumbersome and, and challenging and confusing because the body doesn't necessarily do what you want it to because you're you're not you're not as integrated as you can be right and so that's where like like things like your podcast and these kind of ideas where people are talking become so important because it's it's people don't know that there's different ways to 
that there are different ways to connect to themselves yeah. um, in a way that offers, I mean, you use a really powerful word that I really liked a minute ago, and that's like, people don't know how to offer themselves freedom, yeah. right? Our culture isn't able or willing at this point to give that to us. We just don't live in that kind of a society right now. We don't have that yeah. kind of exposure. And so unfortunately, like one of the, one of the steps is for us to seek out information that gives us an understanding of where we could find freedom, right? And the freedom isn't uh, a turning your back on a belief system that you have or a partner or a family or a tradition or, or, or whatnot, but rather the freedom to look at yourself in more than one dimension, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. you know, there, there, there's this, this kind of idea and I'm going to completely <laughs> butcher it because I haven't read the saying in a long time, but I think it was Carl Jung who kind of talked about this idea where we are born into a family and a system, a belief system, a meaning system, and your your identity is heavily influenced by what you're absorbing around you. And that's, that includes all the strengths of the family that you're a part of in a culture and community in the towns but it also includes all of their limitations as well, right? And one of the, one of the tasks in, in becoming an adult is learning where all of those things end and you begin, mm-hmm. right? Where as an adult, we start to confront these feelings inside of ourselves where some of the beliefs that we were taught don't feel right. Like they don't resonate to our bodies. There's just something that doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel like it's helping us grow. And it's not because people were necessarily uh, malicious or, or intentionally trying to harm or limit or damage. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, because we, you, you, you don't know what you don't know and you, you only teach what you know. And sometimes what you teach is unintentionally limiting to the next generation. But as you get older, you recognize, most people start to recognize that there's something sex, we're not sex related going on that their body just doesn't jive with. And that's where we start to differentiate from the, the belief systems right? Like what are the things that I grew up with that I want to keep because they are meaningful, they are valuable, they make me feel healthier and happier and more whole, they help give me direction, they help me share myself with my partners and my friends. But also what are some of the ideas, some of the concepts, some of the feelings, some of the things I'm storing in my body because they were there when I was a kid and I didn't really have, you know, a, a, a system of thought. So they're stored in my physiology, in my body, in my pelvis, in my chest. How do I recognize those feelings and give myself permission to release them, the freedom, right? To Mm -hmm. release them in order to make space for my adult life, you know, where I'm a blend of where I came from, but also a blend of the experiences that I'm choosing to have that shape my identity as an individual separate from my family system. Right. That just instantly reminded me of when I went off to college. I, you know, grew up uh, in high school where I was the goody two shoes. (laughs) I mean, I got along with many different types of people. I was like a really nice girl. Um, People kind of referred to me as like the porcelain doll. I felt like people had to, people naturally wanted to protect me. Mm. Um, And I you know, felt like I had to continue to play that role because that's how people saw me and that's what they expected, right? Yeah. And I purposely then went to college six hours away where I knew absolutely nobody. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, those were some still some of the two best years of my life because uh, yeah. I ended up transferring at one point, which that's another story. But those two years at that college 
was a time just like you had talked about, it was like the shedding of skin. I was able to like step out of that porcelain doll <laughs> kind yeah. of um, world that people had created for me and to get to really feel who I was. And I was able to connect to myself in a way that I hadn't. And I felt that sense of being free. And then I also then ended up creating some of the best friendships I've ever had from, um, being able to live into myself and making them genuine connections from that place, you mm -hmm. know? And I think too, uh, we still get, um, you know, for me as a parent, I also have found like when, just as I feel, you know, we go through these different stages of life where we start to kind of live more into who we are, but then other things might happen and we discover more things. Right. And that's the same of, you know, I, at 26, I thought I was like this wise sage. <laughs> I've oh, learned yeah. so much. I can yeah. teach you so many things, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> I have all the answers because I've collected all the experiences. Yes. Oh. I'm like, yeah, that's, I know. We'll <laughs> my life will continue to flourish. I will continue to learn. And then I like got married and then I had kids and then I immediately was like, well, I don't know shit. <laughs> Right. And you just enter in these to these new moments, like new career, new spouse or whatever, like these different things. And I find that we, you know, either our family system creeps back in or we get yeah. put into these other sort of boxes, which then also inhibits the way of being able to fully connect again to ourselves and explore the way we want to and like sexually. So I feel like as well, like it's important for us to remember that this is a constant kind of journey of tapping into these moments and that we can have those moments and we can experience these things. And sometimes it might change again, right? Like, well, yeah, you know? it, it's, it's, I, I hear fitness people saying going to the gym is like a gift and like that, that's your reward. And I'm like, those people are idiots, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> But, but at the same time, like I, I get it because like when I do go to the gym and I, I'm done, I feel pretty amazing afterwards, even though I'm exhausted, I'm tired. I've kind of put my body through the ringer and all these other things, like the motivation to do it is difficult. But after the fact, when you've yeah. chosen to do something a little bit more challenging, there is a, there is an identity, it, 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 the, the outcome from that is that you have added to your identity it reveals something to you about yourself because you chose it, right? Like mm -hmm. suffering that you experience that is not of your own choosing is just suffering. Mm -hmm. And and that is right. often intolerable for people. And some people have really horrific stories. Um, and so it's, there's a lot of suffering out there. But I think to, to your point, and I, you know, as I'm thinking about like, well, oftentimes I'll, I'll have clients ask me like, what, how long am I going to need to do therapy before I, you know, feel better or how long do I need to keep doing this when I'm done therapy? And the answer is like, it's not about, it's not a matter of how long it's, it's like, what is the path that you want to walk? And the, the work is to continue to choose the path, not the outcome. Right. And so, mm, you know, you're talking yeah. about this and I'm thinking about my own experiences and like, one of the things I'm constantly trying to do. And yeah, I, I personally feel like I feel at it frequently. It's like being in my body. I grew up in a, in a home that was you know, a military home, three generations of military. 
loved my mm -hmm. parents dearly. It wasn't a place where there was a lot of emotion that was kind of discussed or accessed. And you learned how to kind of work and how to move through difficulty and kind of like disconnect from the difficulty and just kind of get through it and succeed. And then I picked a career where, you know, lots of education, um, licensure, certifications, all these things that are very intellectual endeavors. Um, and that exercised one part of who I am as an individual, but it doesn't, that didn't necessarily help me kind of get into my body. And so like, I know for myself, my, my forever life's work is, is about mm -hmm. practicing staying connected or reconnecting when I disconnect from my body to my body. Right. And so when I go to the gym, one of the things that I love to do most in my life is to, to go hiking by myself in, in the wilderness. You know, I did a, a hiking trip down to Patagonia. Um, I hike every summer um, when it's not pouring down rain here in, in Seattle because um, it's, it's difficult, it's painful. And I usually collect a rock from the top of every mountain that I go to because I want like a symbol of okay. how that experience felt like in my body. I need to remind myself yeah. of being in my mm -hmm. body um, because that's, you know, you, you have a lot of wisdom that is stored in your body to, to, to help guide you in life, right? And we want all the resources that we can have access to, to help us navigate life because life is tough and life is also very beautiful, mm -hmm. you know, if, if we live it right. And by right, I don't mean a moral right. I mean, just kind of like leaning into what our heads and our hearts and our bodies need, right? And we yeah. want to be able to listen to and access all of those all of those things which can which can take courage a lot of, a lot <laughs> right. of courage a lot of courage mm -hmm. um but when it's something that you choose you start to more often than not see yourself as somebody that is courageous somebody that can choose a path that does not look easy or does not feel easy but that that difficulty whatever it might be won't wipe you out right won't annihilate you yeah. um but the only way you start to feel that is by giving yourself permission to lean in a little bit at a time, right? Just like a step at a time. Um, mm -hmm. Or, as, you know, in that movie, what about Bob? You know, baby steps, some baby step towards the door, <laughs> baby step towards the, the elevator. I absolutely oh, it's so fantastic. <laughs> but that's, it's such a perfect example <laughs> of movie. like so many different aspects yeah. of life. It's like, don't, don't reach too far. Don't try to do too much. Try to manage those expectations. And all you've got to do is, what can I do today that I, I wasn't quite comfortable to do yesterday? Or what can I learn today that I, I didn't make time for yesterday around my body, around pleasure, around my partner or partners, mm -hmm. around how to connect to more parts of myself? Or how do I make more space for more parts of myself to exist in my life? Right. Yeah. So we're more than a one-dimensional creature kind of moving through, you know, the, the 80 or the 90 years of life that we have on this I planet. Know. It almost sometimes feels like we get into autopilot, you know, and so that's why oh, yeah. I enjoy the the aspect of of having the conversations around pleasure and inviting our senses to be a part of more things and experiencing more things in our body and even paying attention to like the hard feelings, right? So what are these hard feelings telling us and where mm -hmm. do we need to pay attention? Because if we're just, if we're, if we continue on the path of, being on autopilot and shutting things out and disassociating through technology often, right? right? And then we're going to find ourselves in this, in a place that we don't really want to be. Well, yeah. And that's, you know, they, 
I forget who it was, maybe it was Marcus Aurelius or, or some philosopher, but you know, the idea is like there, there's there's life is long enough when you live it right, right? And the idea of living right again isn't a moral right or wrong, but rather like allowing yourself to be shaped by life and to learn from life and to feel the life that you have. And sometimes that can be really, really difficult depending on your your circumstances, your history and, and the traumas that you've collected over the years. But the more we learn how to strategically allow ourselves to feel and connect and invite people into our world and attempt to understand the worlds of other people that are different from us, whether it be a partner or a different belief system or what have you, the more we, the time slows down, right? Because we have access to our curiosity. Like I often think of kids, right? When I was a kid, summer vacation lasted forever, forever mm, i know right and i was i was wondering why you know I, i'm i'm old now i'm 40 and like summer just like disappears overnight and i'm you know i'm crafty before summer happens and then after summer I'm like where the heck did that go it's true um and i wondered I, yeah i always wonder why and like I, I forget where i heard it from but there's this idea like there, there's so many aspects of our life as adults that we kind of are dissociated from like if i'm dry i used to work down at the military well, off the military base but it was an hour and a half drive each way so it's like three hours a day that I was spending in a car and I, I couldn't remember how I got to work and how I got home. That's right. three hours of my day that I don't remember. Like there's like a natural dissociation that comes with being an adult because there's so much information to filter through. Whereas kids, kids are all like emotion, right? Like mm -hmm. everything is new and everything is different. And so they are absorbing every ounce of it. They are living a slow life because everything is new and therefore like time seems to go on forever and summers last forever. And I think part of, and this ties into what you were saying, part of like what I encourage people to do as adults is like, what are ways that you can, where do we lose time and where are we inefficient with our time so that you can have more availability to invest and experience the world that you're, that you're living in or the world that you want. Yeah. Right, because if you're watching four hours of TV at night, like sometimes we need that escape because work is so stressful or life is stressful or we're in an unhappy relationship, but you're also spending three or four hours a day completely disconnecting from your body. And the more you practice something, like we know this about orgasms, right? Like the more you, you practice having <laughs> orgasms, the easier it is to find them. The sure. more you practice dissociation and, and disconnect from your body, the harder well, I don't want to say this scientifically, but like the, the, the more challenging it can be to reconnect to your body and to be fully present for the life that you're living. Yeah. And that's, that's like life time slows down when you are more in your body and you're more in your feelings and you're, you're shaping the direction of your life actively, you know, and mm -hmm. it's, that's, that's a lot of it, I think. I feel like I, I mean, I'm going to 100% say that I have become really good at disassociating. <laughs> disassociating. And something that I've done, it was like something I did since my childhood, but there's times I see myself as an adult also doing it again with like the Netflix or just mindlessly looking at my phone or things like that. And so I'm actively trying to change that behavior. And, you know, one of the things I start doing is um, going to this thing called Clay Lab where you just work with clay and I'm telling you I am terrible at it I make subpar pieces I look I make pieces that you think like a kindergartner brings home and you're like oh that's so cute yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. um but I find so much joy in it and I think it's because I'm giving myself permission mm -hmm. to just be 
with what does it feel like to manipulate and play with this clay and what can you do with it, whether it makes a piece or not, but just yeah. being with my senses and it's just the most relaxing thing. And now I bring my son with me and it's, it's a way that we have bonded. So it's been wonderful. It's beautiful. There's yeah. two things I want to, I'm going to come back to you and then we're almost out of time, which I cannot even fathom. So I want to bring back also the, the concept of vanilla. Yeah. Which we had talked about because I feel like there is an element of, like, especially I want to say in today's society, as we are starting to talk a little bit more and we have, you know, educators on TikTok and Instagram and we're learning about the world of kink or whatnot. Yeah. There's kind of like two things happening. And I feel like um, there still is an maybe a little umbrella of shame that can reside in people starting to learn that they're kink, um, kinky or then people who are embracing the world of kink, looking at people who might feel as we, as you called, as we had said, vanilla, which we don't like the term. Um, and then feeling that maybe they're not as um, adventurous and then having this kind of feeling of, you know, feeling, I'm just going to say this, whether people believe this or not, or like in quotes, uncool mm -hmm. or something. So how do we uh, foster and not foster how do we care for the feelings of the shame that people might be feeling around these two things does that make sense did i make sense in any of that yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> i mean you're 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 there there's there's two i guess there's two directions that i could take that one of which is like on the social level and one one of which is like in the the relational level i think like it's, it's much easier on a relational level than it is on a social level mm -hmm. um relationally like in a relationship with somebody you know it's it's you know we, we we choose partners because they there's a saying that like we choose people that are similar to us initially and then what keeps us together is how we manage our differences mm, right mm -hmm. and so like part of it is initially finding somebody that kind of is similar to us in some ways i mean sometimes you don't know that you're kinky until later on in life um but find somebody who is, is somewhat close to to who we are but then like there's this other piece of like how do we want to handle our differences in a way that will allow us as a couple or as a triad or whatever to to be more successful long term yeah right and we do know that like from john Gottman's work and, and sue johnson's work and a bunch of other folks that the way that you handle differences and be able to handle differences with curiosity and openness and 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 and, and, and um, validation, even when you disagree with some of the things that your partner might be wanting or needing or, or saying, um, those are, if you have a recipe to have difficult conversations in a way that feels valuing, you can figure out compromises and middle grounds for almost anything. And I think that's like the big part, like what is your intention when you're in a relationship with a partner is the intention to try to make them become you, yeah. which defeats the purpose of, of being with somebody different from you right you know you could have a roommate that's exactly like you and you don't have to worry about anything <laughs> um so like being intentional with why you are choosing the partner that you have and 
being thoughtful each morning of like, I want to choose my partner today. And in choosing that partner, I'm not just choosing how they're similar to me. I'm choosing them because they have value in the difference that they bring to the relationship. Mm -hmm. Right. And we know from Mr. Perel's work, like couples that do well or couples that kind of have a, a blend of some sort of, they have the, the safety and security and predictability that brings about like attachment and, and care and concern and investment, like all these kind of like ooey gooey good stuff. But these are also relationships that, that allow for there to be novelty, adventure, change, difference, um, variance within a relationship. Like right? that, that difference is honored because what that brings is a continued sense of growth. Now you can have so much security that you basically feel like you're partnered up with like, you know, a family member and it can be totally de-eroticizing or you can have so much change and so much variability with none of the safety to where you just don't feel safe enough with your partner to ever want to be sexual because it just feels too risky. And so like the, 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 it's, it's, it's different for every, every person, but you want a little bit of both and you want to encourage both. And so the couples that I see that do well with sexuality and, and navigating some of the shame are, are couples that learn how to understand where their shame comes from individually. Mm -hmm. They right. learn through books, through talking to therapists, through TED Talks, that like they actively seek out information to better understand the feelings that they have that they don't want to experience. And then they invite that knowledge and that almost quote unquote becoming, like as they grow, they invite and offer that into mm -hmm. their relationship as like a, a source of conversation and change and they invite their partner into that experience with them yeah right so i think that's mm -hmm. like a big part of it is it is allowing your partner to be separate from you um and yeah. doing some of the work that our society won't help us with and that's mm -hmm. the other part of what you were saying and that i was talking about earlier where we live in a society right now that doesn't really look at, like it's going to change that much you know and um at least at this point um, mm -hmm. And so being able to look at society and culture and the educational system as a source of thoughtful information around sexuality and around like how different types of people manage different types of relationships, um, that's just not a place that we can really draw from and get, get a lot of valuable information. Um, yeah. We have to kind of be self-learning in this way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you have you know, I, what I often suggest to people as well is like, if you feel shame around your sexuality, if you feel uncertain, but you have like a friend, you know, if, if there's somebody in your life that seems to be able to talk about sexuality or intimacy in a way that feels empowering to you, feels encouraging to you, feels like their messages don't hold a lot of shame attached to them, spend time and learn from the people that are expressing a relationship with their sexuality in the way that you might want to yourself, right? And, and we know, you know, whether it be coming out with a uh, sexual orientation other than being heterosexual or coming out as kinky, like one of the primary, primary things that helps support individuals in owning these new behaviors or, the, or identities and orientations for some, depending on what we're talking about, is feeling connected to a community or, or, or a, like a source of resiliency, a person that can help model a different way uh, of, of embodying sexuality that you as an individual hasn't, haven't yet figured out, 
right? It's that idea that we, we to some degree, we become like those we surround ourselves with. And so if you're surrounded by people who are super negative about sexuality, about intimacy, are super shaming, are super, are, are super kind of guilt, <laughs> you know, infusing guilt into sexuality that return, you're, you're, you're not really going to find an ability to feel safe and not to explore yourself. But if you're around people that, even if it's just one person who is a little bit more competent or, or comfortable or, or positive around sexuality, um, be around them, ask them questions, learn from them, look at the way that they use their body and their words and their thoughts around sexuality about themselves, their partner or their community, and see how that fits into who you are and what you can kind of adopt and, and integrate into your own way right. of looking at yourself and in, in, engaging other people. And that's like a great way to slowly shed, set, slowly shed shame over time. Yeah. And that's like the positive, the positivity of uh, the internet, right? Where you can actually even uh, find groups uh, on there who have similar mm -hmm. interests, right? As you and start conversations in yeah. those spaces. Too. Yeah. I mean, the, the last thing that I would, I would, I would suggest too is that the, the, the internet, as wonderful as it is, is also like a cesspool of bad ideas. So, the, you know. Well, yeah, so no, it's, I know it's... that. <laughs> But I mean, they, there's there's some places though that I mean, like for some, I'm I'm thinking specifically too of those who don't have a community yeah. readily available to them in person. That sometimes, like if you find the, you know, if you know of different organizations online that are legit right. and are safe, you know, who have the precautions. Well, and I think, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you. Go ahead. My apologies. No, that's fine. Yeah. I was just saying, like, then some of those like, yeah. spaces are okay to have, to, to even just look at, right? Like, I wouldn't be, I would encourage people to, you know, observe first before you oh, always yeah. enter in to a space to know how people are navigating those spaces. Because like you said, there are accessible, <laughs> not okay well, things happening. You know, people, one of the things with sex therapists, and I know we're kind of coming up on time, so I'll kind of wrap it up with this. But one of the things that they have us do as, as certified sex therapists is um, we go through this thing called a SAR, where it, it's, it's basically like a class where we are exposed to anything and everything that you can imagine that is sexually related, that is evocative, mm -hmm. right? From panels of people and, and, um, videos and, and media of all kinds where the, the goal of the course, and it's a really long course, but the goal of it is to expose your, for us to expose our own biases, right? Like everybody has a bias around yeah. their sexuality based on how they were raised and what they've experienced and what they've learned. And so I, I, I very much encourage people to be as best as they can, critical consumers of any kind of information that you are exposed to online and notice yeah. how your body feels when you're listening to certain things. Right. And ideally, if yeah. you could find like this is where TED Talks become very valuable. This is where people like Justin Lee Miller and, and and other folks become valuable because they have information and research that is very much um, non-shaming, non-guilt promoting, but also doesn't say there's a right or a wrong way to be sexual. Like it, 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 there's yeah. there's space for people to explore. Well, what is right for you in your relationship? Right. Like for some people, having multiple partners is not okay, and for other people, you know, having a polyamorous relationship completely works for them in every way. There isn't a right or a wrong way to 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 engage in consensual sexuality. It's it's understanding what works for you. And so to that point finding people that you really like online that are ideally are, are researchers or have a bit more education or are, are putting out information 
that kind of is expansive of the human experience. Um, picking really what fits with who you are as an individual, your identity, your relationship, and what you're looking to learn, and also kind of following the links of those people that you highly respect that have a really balanced perspective mm -hmm. on sexuality, right? Because like what works for one person might not right. work for another, but I find following the links of some of those people that you really, really like, that really have like a thoughtful, non-shaming way of talking about sexuality can lead you to other people that are also thoughtful, non-shaming, empowering, um, that encourage kind of embodiment of sexuality and sexual variability, which is the mm -hmm. human experience, right? It's, it's, it's a spectrum of, of, of perception and experience and, and all that kind of good stuff. When I like, you know, you say, how does it feel in your body? I feel like that's, I mean, that's a key too that we forget about. And for parents, you know, I think that's a phrase that we have to start using with our kids. I often, with my children, when they experience something or they talk about something, that they bring to me, mm -hmm. I will ask the question, well, how did that make your body feel? You know, yeah. because I think when we do that, that's starting to help them um, recognize that, oh, their body actually, you know, will help guide them and lead them in that way. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Sean, I have one last question yes. that I ask all my guests. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the one mm -hmm. you're really excited about. Well, I, love, I know. I like how you get all serious. I thought we already I'm going to ask you in a serious tone, just because you said that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What story are you reframing in your life today? Uh, I think the, the, I kind of touched on it earlier, I think. Um, and that's the, the, the story that being in my, like, this is always like a lifelong thing for me, being more in my body. And that that's like a, that's a, a useful place for me to be. Um, because again, like I spent so much of my life thinking, mm -hmm. right? Like being in my head, going through different types of schooling and, and, and what have you, um, many, many, many years of schooling that I've learned to be in my head to a great degree. And this is like therapists are our people, you know, we have our own stuff as well. And I think the, I know it's like a lifelong bit of work, which is to say that like, paying attention to my body and learning what it's telling me and not having it. I think the reoffering piece is changing the belief that it doesn't have to have a purpose in order for it to be right for me. Mm, right. Mm -hmm. And so like, if something feels right, like it's, it's far easier for me to believe this when it comes to like hiking than in other areas of my life. Like I don't read fiction books that often because it's like, why do I want to read fiction when I can read a textbook, which is stupid, but like, that's, that's me. Uh, you know, I gotta learn something. Uh, no, it's like, you know, I, I hike because that's usually one of the places where I feel the most connected to my body, the most integrated as like a complete individual, not living in parts and pieces. And we, yeah. you know, the longer you live, the more you learn to live in parts and pieces in order to manage all these conflicting or, or different expectations, right? Like there's the expectations that I have at work, the expectations that I have in my relationship, the expectations that I have in my family of origin and all these different places. And so there's a lot of different ways that we have to show up, um, but ideally we want to show up in all these different places, more integrated and more whole and more uniform, right? Where we don't, as they say, like context shift, where we're, 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 we're becoming different people in different spaces. Mm -hmm. And so when I do things like hiking, when I do things like get massages and actually use my health insurance as opposed to just not using it. Right. Um, when I when I force myself to be more in my body, 
um, I'm, a, I'm a healthier human being. Mm -hmm. I'm a more well-rounded emotional human being. And so the reframing is, you know, it's, it doesn't have to have an achievement or uh, uh, a defined outcome in order for it to be useful for me. It is useful if my body is telling me something and I'm recognizing it and I'm trying to give it space to be explored. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a recent experience is like, I, 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 I'm in a relationship with a, with a, a massage therapist and, 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 you know, very much in her body. And every time I go into her space, it's just, I instantly feel so relaxed. Like everything mm -hmm. in her home is curated in such a way to where it's about being in your body, feeling particular feelings, and it's so comfortable. And so I started to kind of like adjust my own design in my home to stimulate the kind of feelings that I want to have for myself. And so this kind of ties back to what you and I were talking about earlier, which is like that the reframing never stops because every year of life has a year of new experiences mm -hmm. that we can use to shape how we live if we give ourselves permission to learn from what's happening in our heads and our hearts and our bodies and our spirits right. right so the reframing is this doesn't have to have an outcome that i can predict in order for it to be useful sometimes the utility is in the acknowledgement of the feeling and allowing the feeling to be there without changing it right that's my thing well i think that's wonderful <laughs> that's it, what we need right well yeah yeah I think so. Yeah. It works for me. So that's, that's the important part. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, as a dancer, right. Like I used to, I feel like always be in my body. And I think to be honest, like becoming a mom and having um, just a lot of different responsibility and care, wearing lots of hats and mm -hmm. um, just the demands. Right. Uh, I, have forgotten her and I mm -hmm. feel like that's something for me <clears throat> you know for me I understand the world when I dance it mm -hmm. you know even I mean my inner world even and I I have had a lot of grief uh, I think you know when I was 25 I had a knee injury um, that really changed the way I interacted also with my body and then shortly after you know became pregnant and things. And, uh, now my body, like I do a plie and my knees crack, you know, and it's yeah. like, it's you're like, just like, Oh, well, that's not well beautiful. I didn't know I made music too. And so <laughs> there's just like this element of grief of not being yeah. fully embodied. And, and yeah. so I'm finding my way back to that as well. So Sean, you also, people are going to, I know for a fact, <laughs> after listening to you are going to be like, I'd like to receive therapy from this person or know more about them. So you have a center in Seattle. Do you want to speak um, quickly about that as we wrap up? Sure. I uh, have a, I share a group practice with my amazing business partner, Mia Fine. And our group practice is called PNW Sex Therapy Collective. And um, the idea behind it is we wanted to create, because there isn't a lot of, uh, there weren't, when we started it, there weren't a lot of sex therapists and practitioners in Seattle or Washington as a whole, um, very, very few people actually, and we wanted to have something there that was accessible to the community um, that was a little bit more substantial mm -hmm. than the odd therapist here and there, and I think there were probably 
think like 15 when I got certified, 15 people in the entire state that were certified. Oh, so wow. yeah. we created this collective and we call it a collective because we want it to be a group of individuals who have different approaches to, to therapy um, that bring their own authenticity and identity to the work. Um, but are people that are wanting to become um, really strong trained professionals that are on their way to certification and what have you. And so um, we have a lovely practice with I think, 10, 10 providers now, and we're kind of slowly expanding a little bit more and we're serving the, the community and this, the, the broader state as a whole. And we are kind of working with putting on trainings for therapists to become more sexually competent because most therapists don't have any training in sexuality beyond physiology, which is really, really sad. But it's, it's yeah. the truth, which is why we want to be looking for certified or people that are trained to be certified sex therapists. Um, but we also put on kind of trainings and, and events for the, pu the public who are not therapists to better understand sexuality and, and ideas and concepts and, and things of that nature so that people can learn how to let go of the shame in their lives and, and, and kind of embody the sexuality that feels right to them. Um, so that's kind of our little, our little baby. Um, Love doing it. Yeah. yeah. We can edit. I know you're good at it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Sean. I appreciate it. Thank you. I always love connecting with you and, and, and hearing you talk. And you're incredibly wise. And just, I think it's, it's there, there's so much need for people to hear thoughtful, kind um, curiosity around sexuality. And, and, and you definitely offer that as a, as a friend to me and, and to our, our group of misfits, <laughs> but also <laughs> I think to, you know, the, 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 the conferences are super, the, the conferences are so fun, um, but also I think just like the, the community as a whole is very, very lucky to, to have you producing these things because there's just, there's just not enough people that are providing this kind of knowledge and this kind of space to explore what sexuality could be without telling people what sexuality should be. It shouldn't yeah. be anything other than what you want it to be and need it to be, in my opinion. And I think you offer a lot of space for people to figure out what works for them in a very loving way. And that's always something that I appreciate about you. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, this is fun.